Part Four, Chapter Three of If Winter Comes by A. S. M. Hutchinson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kirk Ziegler. Well, there you are, old man. There it is. That's the story. That's the end. That's the end of my story. But what the end of the story as Saber's living is going to be takes well. It lets in some pretty wild guessing. There he is, and there's the girl, and there's the baby. And he's what he says he is, and I told you, a social outcast, beyond the pale, excommunicated. No one will have anything to do with him. They've cleared him out of the office, or as good as done so. He says the man Twining worked that. The man Twining, that Judas Iscariot chap, you remember, is very thick with old Bright, the girl's father. Old Bright pretty naturally thinks his daughter's gone back to the man who's responsible for her ruin. And this Twining person, who's a partner, by the way, wrote to Sabre and told him that, although he personally didn't believe it, not for a moment, old man, he wrote, still Sabre would appreciate the horrible scandal that had arisen, and would appreciate the fact that such a scandal could not be permitted in a firm like theirs with its high and holy church connections, and so on. He said that he and Fortune had given the position their most earnest and sympathetic thought and prayers, and prayers, mark you, and that they had come to the conclusion that the best thing to be done was for Sabre to resign. Sabre says he was not pretty well silly by this step. He says that it was his first realization of the attitude that everybody was going to take up against him. He went off down and saw them, and you can imagine there was a bit of a scene. He said that he was dashed if he'd resign. Why on earth should he resign? Was he to resign because he was doing in common humanity what no one else had the common humanity to do? That sort of thing. You can imagine it didn't cut much ice with that crowd. The upshot of it was that Twining, speaking for the firm, and calling him about a thousand old mans and that sort of slush, told him that the position would be reconsidered when he ceased to have the girl in his house, and that, in the interests of the firm, until he did that he must cease to attend the office. And then old Sabre said he began to find himself in exactly the same position with everyone, every door closed to him, no one having anything to do with him. Even an old chap next door, a particular friend of his called Fergus or Fargus or some such name, even this old bird's house and his society is forbidden him. Sabre says old Fungus, or whatever his name is, is all right, but it appears he's ruled by about two dozen ramping great daughters, and they won't let their father have anything to do with Sabre. No, he's shut right out, everywhere. And Sabre, mind you, this Sabre's extraordinary point of view. He's not a bit furious with all these people. He's feeling his position most frightfully. It's eating the very heart out of him. But he's working up not the least trace of bitterness over it. He says they're all supporting an absolutely right and just convention, and that it's not their fault if the convention is so hideously cruel in its application. He says the absolute justice and the frightful cruelty of the conventions has always interested him, and that he remembers once putting up a great friend of his as an example this very instant of society's attitude towards an unmarried girl who gets into trouble, never dreaming that one day he was going to find himself up against the full force of it. He said, if this poor girl, if any girl, didn't find the world against her, and every door was closed to her, just look where you'd be, Hapgood. You'd have morality absolutely gone by the horde. No, all these people are right, absolutely right, and all conventions are absolutely right in their principle. 
It is their practice that's sometimes so terrible. And when it is, how can you turn around and rage? I can't. Well, I said to him, what I say to you, old man. I said, yes, that's all right, Sabre. That's true, though there are few precious few that would take it as moderately as you. But look here, where's this going to end? Where's it going to land you? It's landed you pretty fiercely as it is. Have you thought what it may develop into? What are you doing about it? He said he was riding around, riding to advertisers and to societies and places, to find a place where the girl would be taken in to work and allowed to have her baby with her. He said there must be hundreds of kind-hearted people about the place who would do it. It was only a question of finding them. Well, as to that, kind hearts are more than coronets, and all that kind of thing. But it strikes me they're a jolly sight harder than coronets to find when it comes to a question of an unmarried mother and her baby, and when the kind hearts, being found, come to make inquiries and find that the person making the application on the girl's behalf is the man she's apparently living with, and the man with Sabre's extraordinary record in regard to the girl. I didn't say that to poor old Sabre. I hadn't the face to, but I say it to you. You're no doubt thinking it for yourself. All that chain of circumstances, eh? Went out of his way to get her her first job. Got her into his house, in a way responsible for her getting the sack. Child born just about when it must have been born after she'd been sacked. Girl coming to him for help, writing to his wife, if only you knew the truth. Wife leaving him, eh? It's pretty fierce, isn't it? And I don't believe he's got an idea of it. I don't believe he realizes for a moment what an extraordinary coil it all is. God help him if he ever does. He'll want it. No, I didn't say a word like that to him. I couldn't. The nearest I got to it was, I said, Well, but time's getting on, you know, old man. It's a, a funny position on the face of it. What do you suppose your wife's thinking all this time? He said his wife would be absolutely all right once he'd found a home for the girl and sent her away. He said his wife was always a bit sharp in her views of things, but that she'd be all right when it was all over. I said, Hmm. Heard from her? He had, once. He showed me the letter. Well, you know, old man, every fox knows what foxes smell like, and I smelled a dear brother's solicitor smell in that letter, smelled it strong, asking him to make a home possible for her to return to so they might resume their life together. I recognized it. I've dictated dozens. I handed it back. I said, mm, again. I said, mm, you remember, old man, there was that remark of hers just as she was leaving you. That remark that perhaps the girl might have a claim on you. Remember that, don't you? By Jove, I thought for a minute he was going to flare up and let me have it. But he laughed instead. Laughed as if I was a fool and said, Oh, good Lord, man, that's utterly ridiculous. That was only just my wife's way. My wife's got plenty of faults to find with me. But that kind of thing? Man alive, with all my faults, my wife knows me. Perhaps, I say, my holy aunt is nearly two o'clock. Come on, I'm for bed. Perhaps his wife does know him. What I'm thinking is, does he know his wife? I'm a solicitor. I know what I'd say if she came to me. On a day a month later, in May, Hapgood said, Now I'll tell you, old Sabre, by Jove, it's frightful. He's crashed. The roof's fallen in on him. He's nearly out of his mind. I don't like it. I don't like it a bit. I've only just left him, here in London, a couple of hours ago. I oughtn't to have left him. The chap's not fit to be left, but I had to. He cleared me off. I had to go. He wasn't in a state to be argued with. I was frightened of irritating him. 
To tell you the truth, I'm frightened now about him, dead frightened. Look here, it's in two parts, this sudden development. Two parts as I saw it. It begins all right, then works up. Two parts, morning and afternoon, yesterday, and a bit today, and of all extraordinary places to happen at Brighton. I was down there for a Saturday to Monday with my missus. This absolutely topping weather, you know. We were coming back Monday evening, yesterday. Very well. Monday morning we were sunning on the pier, she and I. I was reading the paper. She was watching the people and making remarks about them. If paradise is doing in the next world what you like best doing in this, my wife will ask Peter if she can sit at the gate and watch the demobilized souls arriving and pass remarks about them. She certainly will. Well, all of a sudden, she began. Oh, what a frightfully interesting face that man's got. That's the way she talks. What a most interesting face. Do look, Percy. I said, well, so have I got an interesting face. Look at mine. Oh, but do, Percy, you must. On that seat by himself, just opposite. He's just staring at nothing and thinking and thinking. His face looks so worn and tired, and yet so very kind, and such a wistful look, as though he was thinking of... I growled, still reading. He's probably thinking what he's going to have for lunch. Oh, dash it, do stop jogging me. Where is he? And then I looked across. Old Sabre! By Jove, you might have pushed me over with one finger. Old Sabre in a tweed suit and a soft hat, and his game legs stuck out straight with his old stick, and his hands about a thousand miles deep in his pockets, and looking. Yes, my wife said the true thing when she said how he was looking. Any one would have taken a second squint at old Sabre's face as I saw it then taken a second squint and wondered what he'd been through and what on earth his mind could be on now they certainly would i knew i knew but i'll tell you this i could see he'd been through a tough lot more and thought a considerable number of fathoms deeper in the month since i'd seen him last yes by jove i could see that without spectacles i went over to him you could have pushed him off the seat with one finger when he saw me except that you wouldn't have had any fingers worth using as fingers after he'd squeezed your hand as he squeezed mine. Both of them. And his face like a shout on a sunny morning. Yes, he was pleased. I like to think how jolly pleased the old chap was. I took him over to my wife, and my, mo and my wife climbed all over him. We chatted around for a bit, and then I worked off my wife on a bunch of people we knew, and I got old Sabre onto a secluded bench and started in on him. What on earth was he doing down at Brighton? and how were things he said things things are happening with me hapgood not to me with me happening pretty fierce and pretty quick i'm right in the middle of the most extraordinary the most astounding and most amazing things i had to get away from them for a bit i simply had to i came down here for a weekend to get away from them and go on wrestling them out when they weren't right under my eyes i'm going back tomorrow effie was all right with her baby she was glad I should go. Glad for me, I mean. Poor kid. Poor kid. On top of her own misery, Hapgood. She's miserable to death at what she says she's let me in for. She's always crying about it. Crying. She's torn between knowing my house is the only place where she can have her baby, between that and seeing what her coming into the place has caused. She spends her time trying to do any little thing she can to make me comfortable. Hunts about for any little thing she can do for me. It's pathetic, you know at least it's pathetic to me jumped at this idea of mine of getting away for a couple of days said it would please her more than anything in the world to know i was right away from it all for a bit fussed over me packing up and all that you know pathetic frightfully 
looking just to show you how she hunts about for anything to do for me. Said my old straw hat was much too shabby for Brighton, and would I get her some stuff, oxalic acid, and let her clean it up for me, that sort of little trifle. As a matter of fact, she made such a shocking mess of the hat that I hardly liked to wear it. Couldn't hurt her feelings, though. Chucked it into the sea when I got here and bought this one. Make a funny story for her when I get back about how it blew off. That's the sort of life we lead together, Hapgood. She's always trying to do little things for me, and I'm trying to think out little jokes for her to try and cheer her up. Give you another example. Just when I'd brought her the stuff for my hat, met me with, had I lost anything, made a mystery of it. Said I was to guess. Guessed at last that it must be my cigarette case. It was. She'd found it lying about, and took me to show me where she'd put it, for safety, in the back of the clock in my room. Said I was always to look there for any little valuables I might miss, and wanted me to know how she liked to be careful of my things like that. Fussing over me, do you see, trying to make it seem we were living normal, ordinary lives. That's the sort of life we leave together, Hapgood. Together. But the life I'm caught up in, the things that are happening with me, that I'm right in the middle of, that I felt I had to get away from for a bit. Astounding, Hapgood. Astounding. Amazing. I'm trying to give you exactly his own words, old man. I want you to get this business just exactly as I got it. Old Sabre turned to me with that, with that astounding amazing, turned and faced me and said, Hapgood, I'm finding out the most extraordinary things about this life as we've made it, and as we live it. Hapgood, if I kept forty women in different parts of London and made no secret of it, nothing would be said. People would know I was rather a shameless lot. My little ways would be an open secret, but nothing would be said. I should be received everywhere. But I'm thought to have brought one woman into my house, and I am banned. I'm unspeakable. Forty, fragrantly outside, and I'm still a received member of society. People are sorry for my wife, or pretend to be. But I'm still all right. A bit of a rake, you know. But a decent enough chap. But I take pity on one poor girl, because she clings to her motherhood, although she's unmarried. And I'm beyond the pale. I'm unspeakable. Amazing. Do you say it's not absolutely astounding? Hapgood, look here. It's this. This is what I've found. You can do the shocking things. It can be known you do the shocking things. But you mustn't be seen doing them. You can beat your wife, and it can be known among your friends that you beat your wife. But you mustn't be seen beating her. You mustn't beat her in the street or in your neighbor's garden. You can drink, and it can be known you drink but you mustn't be seen drunk. Do you see, Hapgood? Do you see? The conventions are all right, moral, sound, excellent, admirable, but to save their own face there's a blind side to them, a shut-eye side. Keep that side of them and you're all right. They'll let you alone. They'll pretend they don't see you, but come out and stand in front of them and they'll devour you. They'll smash and grind and devour you, Hapgood. They're devouring me. That's where they've got me, in their jaws, Hapgood. And where they've got Effie in their jaws is just precisely again on a blind shut-eye side. They're rightly based. They're absolutely just. You just can't gainsay them. But to save their face, again, they're indomitably blind and deaf to the hideous cruelties in their application. They mean well. They cause the most frightful suffering, the most frightful tragedies. But they won't look at them. They won't think of them. They won't speak of them. They mean well. Old Sabre put his head in his hands. He might have been praying. 
He looked to me sort of physically wrestling with what he called the jaws that had got him and had got her. He looked up at me and said, Hapgood, this is where I've got to. This is where I am. Hapgood, life's all wrong, stupid, cruel, blundering, but it means well. We've shaped it to fit us as we think we ought to live, and it means well. Means well. My God, Hapgood, the most terrible, the most lamentable self-confession that ears can hear. I meant well. Some frightful blunder committed, some irreparable harm inflicted. That piteous, broken-hearted, heart-breaking, maddening, infuriating excuse. I meant well. I meant well. Why didn't someone tell me? Life means well, Hapgood. It does mean well. It only wants someone to tell it where it's going wrong, where it's blundering, where it's just missing, and why it's just missing. All it means to do. With that, he went back to all that stuff I told you, he told me, when I was down with him last month. That stuff about the need for a new revelation suited to men's minds today. The need for new light. I can't tell you all that. It's not in my line, that sort of talk. But he said, his face all pink under his skin, he said, Hapgood, I'll tell you a thing. I've got a secret. I've got the key to the riddle that's been puzzling me all my life. I've got the new revelation in terms good enough for me to understand. Light, more light. Here it is. God is love. Not this, that, nor the other that intelligent revolts at, and puts aside, and goes away, and goes on hungering, hungering and unsatisfied. Nothing like that, but just this plain for a child, clear as daylight for grown intelligence. God is love. Listen to this, Hapgood. He that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him, for God is love. Ecstasy. Hapgood, ecstasy. It explains everything to me. I can reduce all the mysteries to terms of that. One of these days, perhaps, one of these days, I'll be able to write it and tell people. I tell you, old man, you can think what you like about it, but old Sabre, when he was telling me that, was a pretty first-class advertisement for his own revelation. He had found it all right. The look on him was nearer the divine than anything I've ever come near seeing. It certainly was. So you see, that was the morning part of this that I'm telling you. What I called the first part, and it was not too bad. He'd been through, and he was going through some pretty fierce things. But he was holding up under them. Oh, some pretty fierce things. I haven't told you half. One thing that hit him hard as he could bear, that old pal of his, Fargus or Fungus, Fargus as a matter of fact, that old chap fell dying and did die. Knocked out by pneumonia, special constabling. And those dashed ramping great daughters of his wouldn't let poor old Sabre into the house to see him. Fact. He said it hurt him worse. Made him realize worse what a ban he was up against. And anything that's happened to him. It would. That chap dying in him too shocking to be admitted. They did grant him one squint of his old friend about five minutes. And stood over him like dragons all the time. Five of them came to him one morning and said, as though they were speaking to a leper through bars, said sort of holding their noses, We have to ask you to come see Papa. The doctor thinks there's something Papa wishes to say to you. What it was, apparently, was that the old gentleman had some sort of funny old notion that he was put into life for a definite purpose, and when Sabre saw him, he could just whisper to Sabre that he was agonized because he was dying before he had done anything that could possibly be it. 
Poor old Sabre said it was too terrible for him, because what could he say with that pack of grim daughters standing over him to see he didn't contaminate their papa on his deathbed? He said he could only hold his old papa's hands, and had the tears running down his face, and couldn't say a word. And they hustled him out, sort of holding their noses again, and sort of disinfecting the place as they went along. He said to me brokenly, Hapgood, I felt I'd touch bottom. My old friend, you know. He said he went again next morning, like a tradesman, just to beg for news. They told him, Papa has passed away. He asked them, Did he say anything at the last? Do please tell me just that. They said he suddenly almost sat up and called out something they couldn't understand about. I ready. Sabre said he understood, and thank God for it. He didn't tell me what it meant. It broke him right up, even talking about it. There was another thing he mentioned but wouldn't go into. Some other great friend, a woman, whom he said he'd cut right off out of his acquaintance, wouldn't answer her letters, realized how the world was regarding him and felt he couldn't impose himself on anyone. He seemed to suffer over that, too. End of chapter 3 Recording by Kirk Ziegler, Ogden, Utah, voiceover-solutions.com